So when I uh, initially, you know, heard Cal was looking for speakers, and as we have done it in the past, um, I thought I was signing up for one talk. And then we talked about doing the series, and so I'm like, well, I really only have one idea, but how could I stretch it out? So, um, and my initial thought was to do um, what I what I was going to title it was Where is the Line? And that's because I'm often accused of crossing one. So, as I thought here, and we have right now in our culture, there's a documentary that came out this year called What is a Woman? And it seems to be there's so many conversations or debates over just simple definitions of things anymore. Um, because it, it has to be, really as we live in, a cultural relativism. My truth versus your truth. I can define a word to mean something that you could uh, define differently. So I really thought, well, let's go to a simple one. And I just borrowed the strategy. So what is a line? And that's what we're going to start with here today. My second uh, presentation I'm going to do will be why is there a line? And then the third one that I'll finish with is where is the line? And I may still be able to find some ways of crossing lines in any of these. So uh, what I wanted to, oh, I'm going to actually start with this first. Uh, but I do have um, a video that I'm going to show. And it's too long, um, so I broke it up into three little sections. The full video is actually seven minutes long, but it's one of my favorite internet skits. And it's called The Expert. Uh, I'll link to it off of our website, or you know, you can ask me about it later. Um, but really why they did this sketch is I think they did it for engineers, or they did it for a common office environment. Because what happens in this sketch is that they're really talking about a very simple idea. Um, but there's only one person in the room that fully understands. So I'm just breaking into these three little clips here. You, to draw seven red lines, all of them strictly perpendicular, some with green ink and some with transparent. Can you do that? No, I'm afraid... Let's not rush into any hasty answers, Anderson. Uh, the task has been set and needs to be carried out. At the end of the day, you are an expert. The term red line implies the color of the line to be red. To draw a red line with green ink is, well, if it's not exactly impossible, it's pretty close to being impossible. What does that even mean? Impossible. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is possible there are some people, say, suffering from color blindness, for whom the color of the lines doesn't really make a difference. But I'm quite sure that the target audience of your project doesn't consist solely of such people. So in principle, this is possible. Alright, so what you have in that clip here is that they're coming up with the idea that they're asking this guy to deliver on. You have to draw seven red lines. But some are going to be green, and some are going to be transparent. Already it can't be done. They all have to be strictly perpendicular. I mean, so they're setting apart this impossible task. But, trying to work with them, he comes up with a little bit of an idea, which is, it could be possible with this smallest percentage of a chance, which all of the people looking at it are colorblind. And what was their takeaway? Oh, so it's possible. You can do this. This is a line, right? Uh, yes. And another, is it perpendicular to the first line? Well, yes, it is perpendicular. Exactly. Uh, wait, wait, I'm not done. And a third one, is it perpendicular to the first line? Yes, it is. But it doesn't cross the second line. They're both parallel. Not perpendicular. 
Suppose so. There it is. Two lines can be perfectly Can I have the pen? This is a triangle. Alright, so what you have here, the expert knows what perpendicular lines are. You know, it's intersecting. He knows what parallel lines are. Others do not, but they can fake it. Then you also have stupid can be supremely confident. <laughs> and that's where we're given the advice. It is better to be thought of a fool than to open your mouth or in this case, draw it for everybody. <laughs> oh, and, and I have another question, if I may. Uh, can you draw one of the lines in the form of a kitten? <laughs> in the form of a kitten? Market research tells us our users like cute animals. It would be really great if we could. No. Uh, but why? Look, I can, of course, draw you a cat. I'm no artist, but I can give it a try. But it won't be a line anymore. It'll be a cat. A line and a cat, these are two different things. <laughs> And that is kind of where we are today. We can define something according to our own truth, the my truth. Um, the idea here, you know, as he says, these are two different things. Um, but there is it where it makes sense. If you saw it in that, the tie guy is nodding the whole time. Oh, yeah, we should do it that way. But as we know, something, if it is defined, has to be that thing. I mean, the principle of definitions, the principle of truth, is it has to be exclusionary towards things that it is not. And uh, if you ignore that, if you ignore what reality is, it gets to be pretty absurd. So then, what is a line? Now, as I'm going to define it here or use the term, uh, it's not simply just going to be a drawing on a board. What I'm going to use lines as is the distinction that we can have between two different things, or also more than that. Um, but I'm going to be using it here as how we define worldview, how we define what Christianity is, what it is to be a Christian, what we believe accordingly. So when we come to faith in Christ, and I have uh, a little note here further down. It did not scroll for me. Uh, but when we come to faith in Christ, you know, where he's given us a new spiritual life. Uh, we have a new heart. We have an alive soul, a new mind, and we're new creations. This is how we define ourselves as Christians. And we do here at Hillsview talk about the abiding life in Christ as well, and it's Christ living in us. Uh, but as we look at just what a worldview can be, I have three kind of guiding questions for us during it. So number one here is, are we able to have objective, factual, truthful, non-interpretive definitions of anything? Does someone's choice of how to view the world actually change how that worldview is, or how the world is? And are we able to look at Christianity as an outsider? Can we imagine what non-Christians think of us? So, in a worldview, and this is where... Um, I'm probably going to read most of these, but is it visual? Can most people see the, line, the word still on the screen for us? Okay. 
Uh, I did point out to Cal, I don't have my glasses today, so in the back row, I wouldn't be able to. Um, but it, with a worldview, there are actually a number of Christian organizations and individuals that have actually come up um, to define these things, to actually make the distinctions of what can be in a worldview. There's also secular people who've done it, other faiths that have done it. Um, and this is where I come up with kind of a quote on that, is a lot of them share similarities. And I'm not really going to be positioning one of these as to accept versus another, um, but in these similarities, uh, the quote I like to say on it, is that there's just a finite set of ideas in the universe, but an infinite way to describe them. But really, as you break down, there's so much similarities when you get to like a root truth of something. Uh, so Summit Ministries has presented worldviews. This is one I'm more familiar with. I've actually studied, uh, looked at some of their courses through it. Uh, and they came up with this chart for worldviews. And I'm just going to kind of quickly show it for you. You can see that we have six of them here um, as major worldviews. And then just the contents within it. You know, where each one of these worldviews is going to get its source of information or source of truth. How it's going to be divided up ethically. How it's going to be according to psychology or sociology. And you can see that people put a lot of time and effort into this. And it's a good thing for us to know. Um, but my goal here is not to actually break down one of these. Uh, just to be aware that we have worldviews. And it shapes us in our everyday life as we go around it. But also, we need to be shaping our worldview. So I really picked from a lot of these sources that are actually a not Christian source. Um, so some secular sources here. Um, and then later I have actually some atheistic sources. Uh, and the reason for that is these are ideas that can hold truth for us. They're not going to necessarily define us. We're not going to accept them as it is, but they present what other people are thinking. And I think by doing that, it allows us to better engage with people who are in a different worldview. <coughs> and there's some reasons for us to be doing that. So this is a clip that I got. Uh, this was a TED Talk that he was being given. And so this is Dr. Arthur Nilsson. And I picked two quotes that he said in here. So does everyone really have a worldview? And while it's true that most people do not have an articulate or organized philosophy of life, everyone does have a worldview. <clears throat> and while we're not typically aware of these worldviews in our daily lives, because they become so basic to our thinking, they become invisible to us, presenting to themselves as obvious truth. Now, how did we get our worldview? Who were the models of faith when we grew up? How were we educated? What are things we are convinced are true? And what are things we have as doubts? These are the same things each person uh, goes through to develop their own worldview. It's this basic human experience we have. Now, before we are saved through Christ, I think here's a passage in the Bible that really shows us where we get a shared experience of our worldview. And this comes from Romans chapter 1, 9, uh, verse 19 through 25. So they know the truth about God, because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yet, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God, or even give him thanks. 
and they began to think out foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look more like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to whatever their shameful, uh, shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. So, a breakdown of that passage. Obviously know God, but turn away. Minds are dark and confused. They accept their own desires as truth, and they are sinners, which is just like all of us before Christ saved us. So a simple summary there. Non-Christian develops a non-biblical, non-gospel worldview. So how do we engage with non-Christians in regards to presenting our reasons for our faith or attempting to change their worldview? Now this is from that Dr. Nilsson again. While we do have good reasons to try and change the worldviews of other persons, and for us, what are our good reasons? We've accepted the gospel to our lives. And now we have a command to let others know the good news. That Jesus Christ has redeemed us and brought us into relationship through our faith. But how are we going to do that if not first trying to understand what other people's worldviews are and how they work? Try to think about a person's needs for security, meaning, and affiliation. Now this will be an emotional encounter for you and for them. But if you start from the awareness, you're able to avoid an over-emotional encounter for them and can keep yours in check, no matter what is said. So, do we have an articulate and organized philosophy of life? If you were to ask me to recite everything that the Summit Ministry showed in that chart, probably not. That's a lot to keep in your mind at one point. But if you're going to go maybe question by question or idea by idea, I feel that I'd be prepared towards giving answers for my faith. But there's a lot more I can study. There's a lot more I can learn. There's a lot more prepared I can give uh, answers for. Now, I got these as a couple of questions here um, for maybe situations um, if we are encountering people with non-biblical worldviews people outside of our Christian thought, you know, how we'd feel about that. So, would we be timid to engage? Do we feel unprepared, unqualified against advanced arguments? Fortunately, we have a book, the Bible, which can help us get there. So I took these from James chapter 1. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Can you engage with others while keeping all of your emotions in check? Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Do you spend enough time to learn and grow in a biblical worldview? But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. 
Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully in the perfect law that sets you free, and do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Now, it probably wouldn't be one of my presentations if I didn't find a way to work in a little bit of hip-hop here. <laughs> so I have a quote, which is, it's up to you and me to be the differences we're trying to see and take control of our own minds. There's a philosophy quote. Socrates tells us, the unexamined life is not worth living. And then we have Jesus, who is uh, the truth that we should be seeking. But this situation here, when Jesus, and this is Matthew 22, uh, verses 34 through 37, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So Jesus had to be prepared against opposing worldviews too. So what I want to encourage us with here is to build up yourself. Look into this. Develop this biblical worldview. Keep expanding it. But we have another part of that to build up others. So this is a uh, stat that I got from Barna Research Group. 64% of 18 to 29-year-olds who were active in the church as a child or teen have dropped out. The other thing about us in America, there's not a majority of children or teens even attending church. So a common occurrence can be in our culture, and I don't know if people have encountered this term, but deconversion. This is somebody that one has tried to say, and a lot of times it happens to people, uh, as public Christian figures. So these are musicians, these are pastors, these are you know musicians, artists, um, that they take this time, and on their platform that they used to have, encouraging other Christians to say they are no longer a Christian, and here's why. Now... I think uh, Babylon B does quite a bit of good work for us, too. Uh, it's a satire site, but I think there's some insightful things you can get from it. So I took this as a video clip that they had, which is an ex-evangelical. I'm not sure if that's really a real term, but it's an ex-evangelical. This is somebody's deconversion, which is incredibly unique, but also identical to every other person's deconversion story. And what they put in that video, I think, is a very interesting quote. And this is where a lot of people, if you're going down a deconversion road, this is where they got started. I had never once thought about what I believed, and then I abandoned my faith like that. So how do we protect against this? How do we, if we are confident in where we are as our Christians, how do we protect our next generation? So I'm going to posit that deconversion experiences are more likely to happen when the young person doesn't see consistent examples of faith and there's a lack of invested discipleship in their lives. 
And I got this as an article from the Gospel Coalition um, writing about deconversion, and I thought these were pretty interesting quotes um, that are going directly to a person looking at deconversion, but they may not get this from the source. But maybe they can get it from a person who is focused on investing in their lives. And that could be us. So speaking to those who are tempted to leave the faith. But I would encourage you, if you're considering a break from Christianity, to make sure you've given real Christianity a try. This Christianity doesn't fit neatly with politics and preferences, but constantly presses you on different fronts, refusing to be boxed in or manipulated into what you want it to be. This Christianity doesn't simply affirm you as you are, but relentlessly pushes you to become more like Jesus. And another quote in there, this Christianity invites, rather than shuns, intellectual wrestling that naturally comes when we try to wrap our minds around an infinite triune God whose existence and work in the world will always be a bit mysterious. So, be invested in others, Find others to invest in you as well. Iron sharpens iron. Now, when I work with the, right here in this room, actually over by the kitchen table, uh, the 8th and ninth graders at the Live Youth Ministry, I ask them at the end of each lesson that we have, what's going to be your takeaway? What's going to be the one thing that you could tell other people about what we learned here tonight? It also does not go as I planned. Uh, one of the things that they often do is either get stuck on some silly one-liners that may have been said, or illustrations from wars or movies, and uh, while I wanted it to be the lesson, they just focused on the illustration. And that's probably what's going to happen with 8th and ninth graders. But I always think of that as a focal point. I'd want us to take away something. And so what I have here, um, if we are to engage with others in the world, and we're engaging with those who have a non-Christian, non-gospel, non-biblical worldview, here's, I think, some ways that you can actually do a practical defense of your biblical worldview. And as I said, this is where I find it interesting. It's not the sources who are biblical or Christian who are bringing this up. Because there are doubts that those in an atheistic worldview probably should have about their position. So, this is how many who reject Christianity place themselves in this atheistic worldview. They just draw a clear line, science over religion. And common phrases you may hear in that, science is settled, scientific consensus, you can't prove God, religion and Bible are myth, fairy tales. General attitude they may have is no evidence could be presented to counter what their understanding of science is. But how deep is their understanding? Do they just trust experts? Are they willing to hear criticisms from other scientists? And continual advances in science and technology and research, uh, they've challenged the traditional Big Bang ideas, evolutionary Darwin uh, assumptions of the origin of matter, life, and the flourishing of life here on Earth. So. I got this from, um, and I've read some of their books as well, but I got uh, one of these quotes from, this was a, put on by the Hoover Institute, and what it's called is Mathematical Challenges to Darwin's Theory of Evolution. So these are top credentialed scientists who are deeply concerned for science itself, and they have critiques against Darwinism and its protection as accurate or reliable science. 
So this is Dr. David Gerlenter. And he says Darwinism is no longer just a scientific theory, but the basis of a worldview and an emergency religion for many troubled souls who need one. He's fully said he's an atheist. He doesn't have ideas that God created the world. He's not following the Bible. But he says accepting Darwinism as fact just to him seems to be an emergency religion. It's not anything that he's done intellectually. And by having his critique and by writing a book that he did against this, um, this is what he points out as uh, his response from his colleagues. So he watches their intellectual behavior. And Darwinism has passed beyond a scientific argument as far as they are concerned. You take your life in your hands to challenge it, and they will destroy you. He's had a ton of pushback by doing uh, the positions that he's had. Because he then says, it's nothing that approaches free speech. It is a bitter and angry rejection that is not a scientific or intellectual discussion. Now, Dr. David Berlinski uh, wrote a book called The Atheist, uh, no, The Devil's Delusion. Um, there were a lot of books at the same time that came out. Um, Richard Dawkins is a very prominent atheist scientist who dabbles into things uh, far outside um, his area of expertise. <laughs> but what he does by doing that is become very popular, gives a lot of people who want an atheistic position ammunition. Um, and Dr. David Berlinski has some thoughts against it, uh, which really have a lot of snark. There's a lot of uh, satire or sarcasm in here. Um, but I think it's very, um, very apt and, and really descriptive of when somebody's claiming an absolute truth in something that can't have it, which is an atheistic position, you can't prove God's non-existence. Um, and he has some of his thoughts. So I use two of his quotes here. So this first one, no scientific theory touches on the mysteries that religious tradition addresses. A man asking why his days are short and full of suffering is not disposed to turn to algebraic quantum field theory for the answer. The answers that prominent scientific figures have offered are remarkable in their shallowness. Now, on this next quote that I have, I'm just really, I feel that it's, it's so descriptive and I like how it's done. I'm just going to let the answers stand for themselves. So, here's the series of questions that he brings up and then his direct answers to these questions from what a <clears throat> academic scientific community should say. So has anyone provided proof of God's inexistence? Has quantum cosmology explained the emergence of the universe or why it's here? Has our sciences explained why the universe seems to be fine-tuned to allow for the existence of life? Are physicists and biologists willing to believe in anything so as long as it's not religious thought? Has rationalism and moral thought provided us with an understanding of what is good, right, and moral? <coughs> Has secularism in the terrible 20th century been a force for good? Is there a narrow and oppressive orthodoxy in the sciences? Does anything in the sciences or their philosophy 
justify the claim that religious belief is irrational? And is scientific atheism a frivolous exercise in intellectual contempt? So my last thoughts here, and a call to action for us. Develop your biblical worldview from great teachers, books, media, the Bible, and reflect how you live in adherence to it. Find and develop relationships where you're discipling others and can be discipled. And if you engage with others from different worldviews, keep emotions controlled, stand for truth, ask questions. It's more important to win souls than win arguments. Ask Jesus to be present in your words. So I'm going to say a prayer for us. Father God, I do uh, thank you today for everyone you brought here. Um, I ask that uh, we would be giving more thanks for what you've done. We would be given more awareness of what you've done. How you uh, provided everything in this world um, in order for us to learn and in order for us to grow in a relationship with you. There's a lot of things we prioritize, Lord, that take us away from you. I ask that you would let us focus on that so we can be drawn more closer to you. And again, when we encounter others that don't yet know you, uh, you would give us your heart for them and you would allow us to see with your eyes. So I pray this in Jesus' name. I ask that we would go out and be iron sharpening iron. Amen.